This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving you the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, if you'd like to get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Brian will be answering the phone, or is somebody else going to be answering, Brian? And and Greg? We can't have two Gregs here. We already have one Greg. So it's, this is Greg the second. But anyway, thanks for having me on your show, and you can give a call, and we can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, tree shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but always remember, remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered as an option for you to consider. And Greg is answering the phone instead of Brian. But uh, Greg is a trainee, so probably by next week he'll be smart enough that he can actually run everything himself. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, you go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is listed. You can contact me and we can schedule a time. I'll be glad to come over. And today, after the show, I'm headed over to Afton, actually off McKenzie, and uh, you know, take a look at the yard there. Now, the tip of the trial, which is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. That's today's. And today's tip of the trial, well, I can't remember exactly what day it was, actually what morning it was this past week. But the elect, I was one of those 50,000 people that we lost electricity. It was like at 440 in the morning. And all of a sudden, everything went quiet. And I, my eyes popped open, and it was like, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And I thought, well, you know, it's probably just a momentary thing. We ended up not having electricity for at least, uh, I think, 12 hours or so. But so, some people had it longer than that. And I can be outside when the humid temp and everything else is like 150. It's no big deal because there's sound, there's movements, there's everything else. But in a house, when the electricity goes off, there is nothing. I mean, it was just horrible. So Tracy and I both, you know, kind of, well, maybe we can just go back to sleep for a little bit. Nope. So we ended up getting up and, you know, going off and doing a bunch of other junk just to kill some time. But... I want to give the tip of the trial out to the Amron folks because they were the ones that took care of getting the electricity back to us. And we live very near the Cologne substation. Now, I'm not really an electronic expert, but does that mean the electricity we have to that substation is coming from Cologne, Germany? That seems like a long way to transport, you know, electricity. So I can understand why there might be a problem all the way to, you know, from Cologne, Germany to to St. Louis, to South City. But anyway, 
Amron guys, they were there. We stopped by, you know, as we were leaving to go waste time, and then we stopped by on our way back. And I guess there's not just one big giant switch they can pull where everybody's electricity comes back on. They have to kind of phase it in so they don't blow everything off again. But anyway, the tip of the trial this week goes out to the Airman employees at the Cologne substation. There was a group of about eight or ten of them. I can't remember exactly how many who finally got our electricity back. When we got home, the air conditioner was on. It still wasn't quite cool enough yet, but... uh, of course, then you got to reset all the clocks and everything else, but uh, so what? But thanks to Amron for getting our electricity back. So if you do have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. And if you'd like to see what I'm thinking, what's going to be happening in August, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. I've already posted the August, uh, I guess, updates. So I usually customize it to individual virtually August or months of that particular year. So if you'd like to you know, if you'd like to get some instant color and you go to your favorite garden center and they've got mums and flower mums and you know and bud, realize that once those mums you know open up, you've only got about two or three weeks of color out of those. And then the flowers are finished, that's it. So regardless of what you do, it doesn't really matter. It's a little bit too early for the the uh, pansies to show up. But if you do like, if you are growing herbs, don't overwater your herbs. Don't overfertilize your herbs. You can really ruin them as far as taste-wise and the benefit of the herbs. Harvesting in the morning is also a good way to go about uh, getting the best flavor, best aroma out of your herbs. So Mike Miller, KMWorks Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, uh, there's some strange things going on out there in the outdoors. One is fire blight on the calorie pears or the flowering pear trees. And in relationship to that, Bill Rupert, who is one of the big wheels in the landscape industry in this entire region, he gave me a call this past week telling me that actually there's a movement trying to get the calorie or flowering pear trees that we enjoy spring white flowers great you know summer foliage on and great fall color they're trying to get them you know called or labeled as a noxious weed because they're becoming so invasive that's the one you can you can see them the seedlings have been growing along highways 270 along the bluffs and everything else so he informed me that there is a movement on to get the calorie flowering pear trees Considered a noxious weed, that means they're going to be put in the status not quite like honeysuckle, but pretty close. Let's go right now to Jim, and Jim is in Maplewood. Jim, how are you today? Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, what eats cucumbers? <laughs> well, there's cucumber beetles. Well, no, these, I've, got, I've seen those, but these, they come on at night. I, I'll have a cucumber about an inch long with it got the bloom still on it uh-huh. and come out the next morning. And it's all gone. Well, uh, in Maplewood, you probably got some wildlife. So at yeah, night, well, it could be possums. It could be something like that, especially when it's really dry. I mean, those things, I mean, animals are really desperate for moisture. And so yeah, they're going to find and eat anything they can. The vines, are, it's on a fence, and they're not pulled down. So I'm thinking it's something small, maybe mice. Uh, yeah, any, I mean, any kind of animal, rodent or whatever, could be doing it for sure. And if it was during the day, it could be squirrels, but they usually don't do it at night. So no, this is, this, 
strictly happens at night. Yeah, so this is probably mice or something along that line. Uh, is there anything I can spray on there? Maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not uh, really. I mean, I mean, you could try some of the repellents, but. Uh, and, I mean, there's repellents that actually work, and you can harvest, the, you know, whatever you spray it on that same day, basically. But uh, probably I would not think they're going to be all that effective. I'm thinking about just maybe uh, getting some mouse traps and uh, hooking them up to the fence there. So. Yeah, try that, and, you know, put peanut butter on your mouse trap. Okay, all as, right. As opposed to anything else. All right, Mike, thanks. Yep, good luck with that. And now let's go from Maplewood. We're going to stay in the same neighborhood and go over to Afton, and that's where Edna lives. Hi, Edna. Hi. I have a large mimosa tree that has lost all its foliage, and it appears to be dead. But recently some sprouts have developed on the trunk as high as 12 feet. If it has had no foliage, basically the top of it is definitely dead, and yeah. the sprouts coming off of it, it's going to be several years before those sprouts become branches. So as long oh. as you can be patient, I would get, cut off everything that doesn't have any foliage on it at all or have it cut off and just, uh, you know, kind of watch the new growth come, you know, from virtually sprigs coming off the trunk. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's not to say those are actually going to survive. What this is is old buds, you know, along the trunk that it, the plant's desperate. It's pushing out anything it can as far as foliage-wise because it's nutrients and moisture up from the root system. It needs the foliage, leaves, to make food. It uses sunlight with those nutrients and moisture for food. So the, it may be dead entirely, but just get rid of all the stuff that you know has no leaves on it. And just next year, if it doesn't leaf out, uh, then it probably should just be removed. Yeah. And, Oh, the sprouts show up on the south side of the tree and not on the north. Right. So, in other the, words, the sun, you know, the warmth and everything else is triggering that. Well, why would the daylilies that I had planted uh, around the tree, those all died, but they're coming back, too? Uh, no guess. Maybe weather-related? That's the only thing I can think of. If everything was healthy up until, you know, let's say a, a month or two ago or however long, then it has to be probably weather-related. Okay. Thank you yep. very much. And now let's go to Jim, and Jim lives in Eureka. Hi, Jim. Three inches or four inches. Sorry, Jim, uh, we didn't have you connected up yet, so could you start over again? Sure, no problem. Uh, I've got a Japanese maple about three to four inches in diameter at the trunk at the at the base of the ground, and I've got one limb that's that's laying on the ground uh it's it's decorative rock that it's laying on but there's there's no issue with the tree but should i cut that limb off it's a personal call you don't have to limb things up like this but if it's not causing you any problems or anything else you can leave it and then ultimately you may want to cut it off it's depending upon how long it is you may be wiser to cut it off in sections so it doesn't tear the bark in your last cut okay so you could leave it. I mean, there's no reason. A lot of people just limb up trees, whether they're Japanese maples, oak trees, regular maple trees, elms, or anything else, just so they can cut underneath them so they can put mulch or anything like that. But if you've got rock mulch there, you don't even need to replenish that. No. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, so just enjoy it. I appreciate it. Yep. And now let's see, where should we go? How about uh, Nina? And Nina lives in Greenville, Illinois. Hi, Nina. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Okay. Um, thanks for taking my call. I have purchased a uh, hibiscus at Lowe's, a beautiful plant, planted it and got it in the ground Saturday, last Saturday, and then a lot of blooms on it. And then when I was driving in uh, past my yard and I'm looking, I see no blooms on my hibiscus. So further inspection, then there's everything has been bitten off, cut off, whatever. Every possible site for a bloom is just neatly gone. <laughs> the skin not damaged or nothing. It's almost like a bird would could clean it off. Yeah. You know, I don't think a rodent could do it. Yeah, probably a deer would be my guess. Yeah, you think it was a deer? Yeah, because, I mean, hibiscus have really, like, lush leaves, lush foliage, and they, again, are desperate. They were desperate for moisture, and they're going to try to eat anything, even plants that are, in theory, deer-proof when it's too cold in the wintertime or when it's too this, too hot, too dry in the summertime. They're going to eat stuff that they normally do not even graze on. So that's what I think probably ate it. Okay. All right. Thank you. Any any suggestions? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I live right in town, you know. I, right. Uh, I know the deer walk around at night in town. Right. So, okay. I mean, you could try, you know, there's really not too much. I mean, if there's nothing left, they're not going to come back and eat it. And if you had some rain, right. maybe they're going to stay away from it. But, uh, you know, just keep it, you know, healthy. Is this a tropical hibiscus or is this a hardy variety? Uh, it's hardy. Uh, it's a midnight marble. Right. Black leaves and black, red, dark red leaves. Oh, yeah. So uh, just, you know, keep it healthy. If you've just planted it last Saturday, it's still got a transition. Get its root system set. So make sure you continue to keep it watered. Don't let it dehydrate at all. If yeah. you go out in the morning and the, will, the leaves are wilted, that's when you want to make sure that you do some watering. Okay, okay. I, I sprinkled. I had trouble with rabbits uh, nipping on the leaves of my zinnia, my little white uh, wedding zinnia that's mm-hmm. close to the ground. Right. Uh, and I sprinkled uh, a garlic powder on it, and it seemed like it deterred the rabbit on that. Yeah, but know. if it rains or something, garlic powder is gone. It's gone. Right, yeah. exactly. So, okay, well, thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. And right. uh, let's go now to, uh, <laughs> how about Sue in Crestwood? Hi, Sue. Hello. Hi. Yes, this is, this is Sue, and I want to thank you for your service. We listen every Saturday. Uh, I wanted to ask you, we have two very large hydrangea bushes, and they've been here for about 30 years, and they're absolutely beautiful, but they did not bloom this summer. And we did put uh, fertilizer on about one or two months ago. Uh, We still have the large sticks that are still in place because we were told not to remove them until they bloom. So we're kind of at a loss as to what to do. (laughs) Hello? So if you had large sticks, do the sticks have leaves on them? No, they're just uh, brown sticks that come up. You can cut those off. You should have some new growth coming up out of the ground, though, with you know new stems with leaves on them, right? Oh yes. Okay. So we have no blooms. Yeah, I mean, it could be just you know, if pruning wise, do you know which thirty-year-old variety is probably? Do you know which variety it actually happens to be? No, they were here when we moved in. Okay. When do they normally flower in the spring? Yes. So it's yes. a PG hydrangea variety. So just make sure that you do not do any pruning on anything that has green leaves on it now. What you can do is next year it should flower on those stems, you know, next year. Then right after it finishes flowering, you can prune it at that time. But definitely don't prune it, you know, later in the summertime. Don't prune it in the fall whatsoever. But any stick that's there that has no 
foliage on it, those that's dysfunctional. They're dead. You might as well just cut them out because they don't look so good. Okay. And we were told not to pull them out this year, and so we didn't. Yeah. And, okay, so that's probably what our problem is. Any particular fertilizer that's good to use on those? Uh, hydrangea is probably like a more of an acidic soil, so I would look like look for a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. For acid-loving plants. Right. Okay. And, and do that in the spring or yeah, the fall? Basically, or with, a, you know, with a PG hydrangea, you want to start you know, fertilizing, let's say, sometime around middle March, Ides of March. You want to March. fertilize monthly, April, May, June, and then no fertilizer after June. No fertilizer after June. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. I appreciate your help. Well, great. Thank well, good very- luck with that. And, and what, oh, wait, when we take those sticks out, can we just cut those sticks off or we pull them? What's the best way to remove those? You probably can't pull them. You're probably going to have to go in there just- with, a, you know, with a pruner and just cut them off. Cut them off below where the foliage is, but that's about okay. all you need to do. Okay, very good. Thanks so much. Yeah, I don't know why somebody would tell you to leave the brown sticks there, but they were probably thinking that it was you know next year's growth, meaning that's where the flowers are going to come because – Spring flowering, whether it's forsythia, whether it's hydrangea, no matter what it is, it flowers on old wood. So, in other words, growth from the previous year. So that's probably why they told you not to cut those off. But if they don't have any, as soon as they come up, if they don't have any, you know, you start seeing new growth that has leaves on it, but these other ones don't have any leaves yet, then they're probably dysfunctional. So good luck with that. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, to reiterate what we heard earlier, join KMOX for Hoop It Up, presented by Larry Hughes, when we take over the shed at Union Station on August 19th. This tournament is open for all ages. Registration and information at KMOX.com slash hoops. And back to the phones we go. Let's see. Where do we want to go? How about let's go to Joanne, and Joanne lives in South County. Hi, Joanne. It was our Mother's Day last year, and we planted it, and I'm realizing now we planted it probably a little too close to the house. So is it possible to transplant that maybe in the fall? Uh, I missed what ex- exactly what plant that was. It was a magnolia tree. Oh, how big is it right now? Well, I'm going to say it's probably 10 feet. So it probably really hasn't grown that much since you put it in. I would say you could do it in the fall. Just make sure you get an adequate root system. So in other words, this thing is going to be very, very heavy. So uh-huh. if you're doing it yourself, just realize how heavy this thing can be. Oh, no, I won't be doing it myself. Uh-huh. I have my son-in-law and my grandson. <laughs> But, <laughs> yeah, they can do uh, it. So, you know, depending upon how big, you know, they'll probably be able to figure out how big the root system was when it was put in. Uh-huh. So consequently, they don't really need to go too much beyond how the, the original root system was, you know, when you actually had it planted. Mm-hmm. So let them pull the mulch back, look where the original root system was, dig that whole thing up, and then move it to a new location. Okay, it was planted last May a year ago. Okay, so it probably still hasn't you know grown all that much as root system wise. They may go a couple inches beyond where the original root system was. Okay, it's grown about probably two feet since it was put in there. Yeah. So and just make sure you know depth wise is not nearly as important as width wise. Okay. So you need a wider root ball than you need a deep root ball. 
Okay. And should I put like more uh, topsoil around it when no. we transplant it? You know, you've lived in South County. I don't know what your yard is like, but just the hole they dig should be the hole is actually going to have to be three times the size of the root ball that they're moving. And oh, okay. you don't really have to do anything to the soil. Just, you know, unless it's heavy, heavy duty clay, then you should probably add some compost to it. But beyond that, that's about all you need to do. And when they plant it, make sure the top part of the root ball, about 10 to 15% is higher than the surrounding ground. Oh, okay, 10 to 15% higher? Right. So in other words, you want it kind of elevated above everything else. So if there is any settling, it doesn't settle where you're going to end with a depression around the trunk where water could settle and it could cause root rot, could cause you know bark rot and those type things. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Mike. Have a blessed day. Well, you do the very same thing. And Bye-bye. now let's go to Webster Groves, not that far from South County, into Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Yes, uh, I've got a question on Jack in the Pulpit. Uh, When I lived in Wisconsin, I had a huge plant there. And now that I've moved to Missouri, I said, well, let's get a Jack in the Pulpit going. And the last couple of years, I had it planted, and I think it was planted because it was planted too close to the house, why the plants died out. But this year, I planted it in a huge pot, and set it back under the shade, right? And it was getting new leaves and everything. And then we got the hot weather, and it's gone. Now, do they die back with heat, uh, like some of the plants do, like the Dutchman's breeches and that? Which, when it gets too hot, they're gone. Yeah, definitely they do. So the Jack in the Pulpit is, for people that don't know this particular plant, it's a great plant for the woodland areas. So you're growing it in a pot. So it may have, you know, went dormant a little bit sooner just because of the heat and the temperature and everything else. But, you you know, if you're going to leave it in the pot, just leave it in the pot. Don't do anything to it. Ultimately, you're going to plant it in the ground. You can pull it up and actually look at the root system and just see if the root system's still flexible, you know, and white, then it's probably just fine. Okay, I, it's planted in humus and topsoil mixture, so uh, I didn't want to plant it in clay because uh, that's a woodland plant, and right. you don't find a lot of clay in the woodlands. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do here, but you don't find any jack-in-the-pulpits or ferns or Dutchman breeches or anything like that growing in those locations. Now, I know in Wisconsin, my plant never died back during the the summertime but our temperatures we live to just a couple of blocks off of lake michigan right and it was cool there all summer right and we i my plant was getting up to eight and ten flowers on it at a time sounds great so but i i would really like to get one going again and i was just wondering if it was too much alkalinity from the side of the house why it killed the plants out because they never yeah You're absolutely right. It certainly could have been that. It could have been several factors. If it was underneath the eave of your house where moisture from rainfall or anything else wasn't getting to it, because even in the woods, it has to compete with tree root systems and things like that. Probably if you want to, if you feel like it, you can go to the Botanical Garden, go to the English Woodland Garden, and at least when I worked there in the late 70s and early 80s, we had a good stand of jack-in-the-pulpits there. You can see how they look there if they've all gone totally dormant yet or not. Okay. Okay. And I thank you very much for the information. Well, thank you. Thanks for calling and having me on your show. 
Let's yep. see. Let's go from Webster Groves north to Florissant and into Gail's yard. Hi, Gail. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Um, I got a few questions. One is um, I have my peonies are like spread out close to the porch. Can you cut those back now, or do is that you answered a previous question about if there's greenery on it? That yeah. You, if they still look good, if they still look green, I would leave them. But by the time we get into mid to late August, definitely cut them off. And especially cut them off when you do cut them off. If they have any kind of black spots on them, get rid of them. Just don't cut them off and let the leaves fall right there because that's a fungal problem. And you don't want it to get worse and worse and worse. Okay. And the same with my clematis. I did not tie it up in time, so it's on the ground and it does have spider mites on it. So I didn't know if I could cut that back, and will the spider mites hurt you or anything like that? (laughs) Maybe psychologically they'll hurt you, but spider mites are tiny. So, okay. and their webbing is going to be just between, you know, a little tiny thing, little tiny webbing in between the leaf and the leaf stem. So if you've got big, like, areas of, let's say, webbing, that's uh-huh. not spider mites. That's probably just regular spiders. Okay, and they will hurt you. Okay. No. And then when can you transplant knockout roses or rose bush? Uh, you can do it in the early fall, and that way... Fall is a great time to plant or transplant. The reason for that is because the ground is warm. That encourages root system growth. And then consequently, the plants get to go to sleep for the wintertime, where in the springtime, the ground is cold. That discourages or slows down root acclimation, root growth. And then they're facing summer, which is a very, very tough time here. So fall, you know, early fall is, you know, About the middle of September then? Yeah, even a little bit earlier. Okay. And then mulch. I heard you talk about mulch, that you shouldn't uh, do it in the summer. When did you say to put mulch down? Well, you can do it in the summer. Just make sure that if you do it, you don't put it down too thick because it is very warm. So, in other words, you water the ground first. But basically, again, when the weather starts, the days get shorter, the evenings get a little bit cooler. That's when you can put mulch down, you know, and not have to worry too much about a lot of different things. Okay, and lastly, uh, is there any perennial that you can plant now that uh, would look pretty around a lamppost or anything like that? Pretty what time of year? Uh, any time. Now. Uh, <laughs> is there any that you can plant now, or do you wait till early fall? Uh, availability might be a problem, but... Uh, if you want to take care of them, it's going to take extra care because we got, you know, you know what we just had of, you right. know, for two weeks. It yeah. was like, you know, close to Hades. But uh, right. so you can do it. Wait. It's just oh. more work. You're okay, probably better off to wait. Later in the fall, what right. would you suggest? Uh, if you want something that's extended bloomer, you don't want it to get too big. There's right. a variety of sunflower called Coryopsis. Coryopsis moonbeam would be a good one. Okay, Coryopsis Moonbeam. Okay. All right, thank you. Yep, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we do have some time. If you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. John lives in Pinckneyville, Illinois. Hi, John. Of zebra grass that's outgrown its current location, I'd like to move it. And I got two questions: Would it be best to move it as soon as it goes dormant, or to wait until early spring before it comes out? 
And secondly, could I just split that and move part of it? Now, you t- what could, what specific type of grass was this? It's a zebra grass. Oh, zebra, so it's a type of miscanthus. Yeah, basically the best thing to do is realize that it's a clump grower, so the center, I don't know how big this clump is, is going to be dead. You're not going to have any kind of grass you know, blades that are live coming up in the center of that. You could, I would probably, unless you're desperate to do it, I'd wait until early spring just as new growth begins. And could I move, just split that and move part of it? Yeah, definitely. You can just go out there and with, I mean, even an axe. Those, these clumps, you know, are really, the crowns are really tough. So you might have to take a hatchet or an axe to, you know, cut the parts off that you want. Right. So, yeah, you can do it right. that way. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to, from. let's stay in Illinois. Let's go to Oakville. And Eunice, how are you? Or, or Oakville, sorry. What would you say? Eunice, how are you today? Fine, thank you. I have a crazy question for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> I have outdoor water faucets. And uh, it when I turn on them to get my bucket of water there is some kind of insect or something has carried little green leaves and sometimes flower petals up into them and when i turn on the water out comes the leaves or the flowers with them what kind of insect or what would do that and i use them regularly it's not like i only use them once a week or something like that so you're never seeing insect you're only seeing this plant debris right right I don't know. That's mysterious. I was wondering if you ever heard of something like that. Never, ever. <laughs> okay. So, well. I mean, you know, the insects could possibly be going in there for moisture, but I would think that if you're out there, like you say, routinely kind of using the faucets, you would see something going in there. Right. But, uh, no, and they're, oh, the little leaves are like a, half inch by three quarter inch, something like that, you know, in size. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, there's not too many insects that can carry a leaf that big. So what would what would be doing that? I have no idea. This is absolutely a mystery. I've never ever, in my 40, almost 45 years of working in this industry, I've never heard of anything like this before in my life. Well, it, I've had it happen other years, too. And really? I, I just thought, well, maybe you could solve the mystery. No, I'm sorry. Okay. I can make up something, but... uh, Well, I could do that, too. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Enjoy the show. Well, thank you, Eunice, and sorry I couldn't come up with an answer. From Oakville, let's go to Oakville and go into Pam's yard. Hi, Pam. Hi, Mike. I have two quick questions. I hope they're quick. Um, uh, I've purchased some flower pots this spring and never got around to buying the soil or the the flowers. So I was really on what I'm asking actually is what type of soil should I put on those in those outdoor flower pots? Basically, you want to use a soilless mix. Don't use topsoil. Don't use anything. So just a regular potting mix, you know, so don't, like I say, no topsoil, none of that other junky stuff. Okay. That Great. guarantees good drainage. Three, uh, pardon me? That guarantees good drainage. Okay. Um, the other question I have is I know of a property that has like 10 oak trees, large oak trees, and they're, all of them are covered with galls. Mm-hmm. Ooh, is that harmful? 
Well, ultimately, if there's if too many galls get on the tree, the weight of the galls can be problematic. From you know, can cause small fissures or cracks in the limb or the twig or the branch or whatever. Moisture can get in there. That would be more of a problem than the galls in and of themselves. So it's the weight of the galls more so than anything. But yeah, I mean, the galls can. The galls can cause problems where, you know, those twigs and high winds can be snapped off where the galls are. So there is a little bit of a problem, but historically there's nothing that's really problematic, you know, from the galls in and of themselves. Now, some of these oak trees actually have uh, splits down the bark. That has nothing to do with the galls. Okay, gotcha. That's either, you know, that's either lightning or, you know, something along that line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. Yeah, the galls are, I mean, they're really, they look hideous and they're scary and everything else, but there's, and control-wise, there's really nothing that's really been proven to control them really all that well. So, yeah, they're a problem. Jerseyville, Illinois, that's where Bob lives. Hi, Bob. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. Thanks for having me on our sure. show. <laughs> uh, two questions. I've removed a bunch of units in the front of my house, mm -hmm. and I put dirt down. I'm going to put down boxwood and azalea, I think. So I assume I need to put down some that landscaping material. Uh, that's an option. I mean, landscape fabric, if you didn't have a weed problem in this area, I would say you don't need it. Okay. Well, then my, my main question is, is it okay to put mulch there instead of rock? Oh, yeah, very much so. Okay. The second question I well, have, Let me Mike. go back to the mulch question just for no, a second. Make sure that the wood, you know, the size of the wood pieces, bark mulch is better than wood mulch because wood mulch, as it breaks down, can bind up nutrients and can cause problems, especially for newly installed plants. So make okay. sure that you get a bark mulch. Okay, great. Thank you. The last question I have is I have four varieties of tomatoes, uh, beef master, uh, I forget what, Big Boy, Better Boy, uh, and Celebrity. All of them, Mike, they have a ton of tomatoes on them, but the new growth, the new branches going out, the blooms are all drying up. There's no tomatoes coming on them. And I water them. I fertilize them. You know, uh, I've used Epsom salt before. Then I use miracle Grow. Right. Is there some, I read something where there is there something called... Blossom rot or now blossom and rot is actually is going to show up on the actual fruit, not the plant. Even okay. though you're watering and everything's perfect, it was just too darn hot, and the plant is going to abort those flowers. So that's what's happening. Should I should I start cutting some of those off to or yeah, if you wanted to. I mean, you don't necessarily need to, but uh, if it's you know we got a couple cool days. If it gets back to as hot as it was, expect the flowers to be dropped. The tomato just can't afford to, you know, support them. Okay, because they are in the full sun. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for being there. Well, thank you for being there. And the <laughs> final call of the day is going to be Greg from Imperial. Greg, can you do it quickly? On the, on the deck, and uh, they're all sitting in pots. And the trays, the trays hold water, and they get stagnant. And there's a concern that these, this water could be breeding ground for mosquitoes. So what I did, I took one-inch chlorine tablets on the swimming pool, and I put a half a tablet in each at the bottom. It keeps the water nice and clear, but my wife's concerned that it's affecting the 
maybe the the taste or the quality of the uh, the tomatoes and peppers, but the plants are doing really good. Is is there any concern here? Yeah, you know, a little bit of concern because it is something that's normally not done. So it is uptaken by you know the through the root systems of the plants because of the moisture. But I would say you shouldn't worry too much about the actual you know moisture in the pots or in the containers or in the saucers or whatever. So I think you're you're okay with that. So just uh, yeah, I would just I personally I wouldn't do it, but it's a personal choice. So thanks, Greg. Uh, that's okay. going to be our last call of the day. And uh, thanks, everybody, for calling in. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.